0: Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host, Sam.
1: And your other co-host, Alan.
0: Hello, Alan. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm not too bad. Uh, How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Um, Yeah, just a standard old couple of weeks since the last recording for me. How about you?
1: Yeah, it's not been too bad. A little bit busy at work, um, but I'm off for a couple of weeks now, so a bit of a rest.
0: Well, that's very nice.
1: Yeah, so...
0: Okay, so this uh this podcast we're talking about Azure Security Center. Um so what we're gonna do is we're gonna sort of talk through the product, um, what the sort of features that it has um inbuilt into it, and also we're going to uh dive into sort of how we use it on a day-to-day basis and some inf- some more information about licensing and you know how you can get started using the product. Um so so Al, um Azure Security Center, um, what is it?
1: Yeah, so it's a uh, unified infrastructure security management system. Um, so in effect, uh, it looks after um, checking uh, ins- uh, instances within Azure and on-premise uh, for, for threats and misconfiguration.
0: Right, okay. So it's sort of a big brother for any assets that you might have in Azure that it supports.
1: Yep, and it can be on-premise as well.
0: Okay, great. Okay. So um, So what does it actually cover?
1: Uh, so it covers uh, virtual machines, uh, servers, uh, scale sets, uh, cloud services, and app services.
0: Wow! So it is uh, pretty far-reaching, there.
1: Yeah, and it's always improving every week, every month, as as all the the security stuff in Microsoft does. Um, so all new threats and things like that.
0: Yeah, I must admit, um, the the list on the left hand side in Security Center is getting longer and longer every single time I uh, I click back into it. <laughs> It just seems like they uh, managed to put in new features, you know, all the time. Um, so when we're talking about sort of virtual machines and servers, are we sort of looking at the configuration of the servers or is this, um, you know, in process monitoring of what's happening on those servers? Uh,
1: so there's probably two parts to it. So if we kind of, um, I guess, look at what um, I use it for um, yeah, more can... than anything, think, yeah. um, so... We can um so as part of some of the licensing for it, which we'll go into later, um, it gives you Microsoft Defender ATP for servers or the for the virtual machines okay um, and I think it also gives you the ATP for data as well, which is a new one um, for SQL um, looking for threats in that um, but it also allows you to uh, be able to grab the 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 process logs the events and everything from that that virtual machine or um service and bring them into a log analytics um where you can you can query it or you can use something like sentinel to then sit on top of it to to check the data for the threats
0: right okay so you're primarily using it for log and event management and also you know trying to look at their those those data events and those data security or well, potential security incidents
1: yeah absolutely it's, it's you know it's mainly around uh, bringing it into Sentinel and using some of the workbooks in there to display the same data in it, in this you know, the single pane of glass kind of thing. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I know there's other parts to it, and we do use that sometimes. But mainly for my sort of role, it's it's sort of the other side of it.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um. So yeah. So from my perspective as well. Um. So it's interesting. Um. Security Center because it's kind of a it spans multiple different um, uh, specialities, really, doesn't it? You know, it's sort of, it sort of. I think it touches on all aspects of Azure, uh, if you see what I mean. Because it, it's quite a, a quite a weird product in the fact that you know me and you both see value from it. Does that make sense? Because it's sort of, um, it's it is more about general security, like of those you know servers. Um, I mean, for me, from a a virtual machine and you know a server um, aspect um once you've installed the the agent itself um it can actually give you uh, recommendations on the security of those machines you know so um i'll give you a really simple example let's say that um you allow root login um over ssh and potentially you don't want that on a Linux machine. Um, then it will flag that. And Microsoft have a set of uh, baseline security. I- I'm not sure what they actually call them, uh, but sort of compliance rules. Um, I'm not sure what the
1: it probably is yeah. security baselines.
0: Yeah, um, and for um, those type of machines, yeah, exactly. And and what's what the great thing with that is is that um, because some of those recommendations uh, are quite quantitative, like as in you know. Um, um, sort of, you know, root access over SSH, for instance, might be deemed as, you know, um, from a compliance perspective, something that can can never happen. Um, it can actually give you recommendations, and off of that, it can give you a security score. So it, it's quite nice to be able to apply Security Center to maybe an existing server or piece of infrastructure that you maybe don't have. Um, you know, maybe you're taking it over, um, and it's a, you know, I've I recently moved a client. Um, I took over a client's, uh, you know, uh, virtual machine and I had no idea what the configuration of that machine was. So Security Center allowed me to, you know, just run a baseline across that before I even, you know, start you know, scoping out what needs to be done and it can give me some really good recommendations, um, just off the bat and things I might have, you know, if I'd manually gone to check all of those, you know, um, those different areas, I might have missed some of those. And obviously as you know, time progresses and security standards change, um, obviously it's in Microsoft's best interest to keep these changes rolling out to us. So we get that improvement that it's not necessarily our quotes job to keep these, um, these systems up to date, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the examples um, you gave to me um, in the past was that you installed a, um, I don't know if it was Docker or something like that, but um, something got installed and there were some extra services that were enabled because of it that you didn't need. Yeah. And um, Security Center picked that up and said, well, you don't need this, so yeah. you might as well turn it off.
0: I can't remember what the exact configuration, it was definitely something uh, to do with Docker, and it was...
1: Uh... Was it something it... to do with Q- it wasn't Kubernetes, was it?
0: No, it was definitely Docker. I think it was like oh, I can't exactly remember. It's something to do with um, how you connect to it, or some, something like that. It was basically a configuration that I had never even um, even considered before. Because on one of my uh, dev boxes, I just I, I've just got um, it's like a staging environment. It's just got it's got Docker on it just to run up an application really quickly. Um, and it was part of the um, it was added to, you know, a subscription that was covered under the security center. So it was giving me sort of the alerts for this um, staging environment. And yeah, it was it was basically telling me that the the baseline uh, and all it was is just like an Ubuntu box with Docker just installed onto it. You know, it had no configuration. It wasn't, you know, it was all sanitized data. It was a, a staging environment that was, you know, only due to be up for a short period of time. So it wasn't really... You know, we didn't have to provision the server and and do all the hardening and everything that we usually do. Um, but you know, it gave me, you know, it said, you know, sort of, oh, come and have a look at this because th- this isn't configured right, you know. And it's it is it is amazing the um, the amount of checks and rules that they've got in place yeah, that maybe looks, you would just completely, you know, uh, miss.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say that um, I think it looks for misconfiguration as well, doesn't it? So yeah, from yeah. a from a security perspective, anyway. You yep. know, um, oh, you've got this port open. Do you need it?
0: Correct. Yeah. And I think it's also good to stress, you know, just to, um, to sort of zoom out from that scenario as well. It's not also just looking at the virtual machine. It's also looking at like your network security groups and um, all of the other various aspects of running a virtual machine inside of, um, it. you know, inside of Azure. Like, for instance, um, some of the rules are around um, you have you know non-web traffic ports open to the world right so let's say your ssh port on a linux box is open to the internet and you know potentially you might not want that to be open to the internet so it's going to alert you and it's going to say here's the recommendation you know do with it whatever you want um so i think from that perspective and and for me as somebody that you know um sometimes works alone on projects you know having something checking what i'm doing automatically for me um and i'm getting recommendations from experts at microsoft i mean that can only be a good thing for the you know for the relatively small amount of money that Azure, you know security center costs right
1: yeah absolutely and it helps you to validate against with your customers that it's a a, you know a reasonable hardening as well
0: yeah Hmm. yeah so yeah so it's you know it's The thing is, you know, unless you go through, you know, some clients are so small that they just don't have the resources to go through a massive security audit and hardening and, you know, penetration testing and things like that, you know, like, and, you know, if we just you know, talk outside the Microsoft world for a minute, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of, you know, virtual machines that people just buy and, you know, stick apps on those boxes and they, they have no idea what the configuration on them are. You know, it's just, it's all of those things and security center allows, you know, me especially just to, you know, run it's, it's not the be all and end all, you know, I still have to go in and, you know, check things manually myself. You know, I have to obviously check that my, my application code and logic is secure, but you know, it's just great to know that, you know, I've got some um, I've got some experts, you know, looking at looking at these assets. I mean, uh, I'm not I don't really tend to spend a lot of time configuring, you know, virtual machines and uh, bare metal, you know, servers, because in my world now, a lot of it is, you know, SaaS. It's all or pass, you know, um, products. It's not. You know, because the, the ops cost of keeping a virtual machine up and running is just so high nowadays that even though Microsoft have you know um, sort of broken down the barriers of you know the cost versus dedicated servers, um, somebody's still got to manage it, right? Like somebody would still have to pay me to to go and check that server, make sure you know the configuration is correct and all of those things, you know. Whereas you know now I'm constantly moving towards you know, um you know, like um like a, a pass or even, you know, um a SaaS offering, like a, a function app or a logic app or, or or you know some hybrid of the two. Um because we don't have to worry so much about the configure of the base configuration of the base machines because we're just running on Microsoft's platform, right? Um
1: yeah, absolutely. And, and like you, we said earlier that, you know, it does also cover the um, cloud services and app services as well. So, you know, even though it's not necessarily, you know, the bare metal, the OS you're looking after, but the, yeah, you know, the, the, the web service configuration you know what ports you open, like you said.
0: Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just to talk about, say, so let's say you made a function app um, or I th- I'm guessing it also covers logic apps um, that, you know, it will tell you if, you can access your function app over HTTP versus HTTPS, right? Because you can you could you can potentially set that yourself. Um, so it will just it will give you recommendations across you know a huge gamut of of um, Azure services, you know, and and I, that's what I really I, I really love about it. And you know the simplicity of the compliance and scoring, right? Because if you take, um, a compliance standard that maybe you're, you're trying to hit, like, let's say you were trying to hit PCI compliance. Right. Which is, you know, arguably one of the hardest standards to, to actually hit, um, you know, PCI compliance, isn't just about technical you know, um, technical configuration, right? Like that's part of it, but it's, you know, there's a huge amount around uh, business processes and data privacy and data retention and all of those myriad of different things. Um, but what Security Sane can do is it gives you an overall, you know, security percentage and point score and, and all of that sort of stuff. But you can compare your um your your scores and your compliance against you know regulatory compliance um standards. So you could say, right, of the technical requirements that I need to meet um to to reach PCI compliance. And again, that's not going to get you to PCI compliance. That's just going to get your technical, you know, your technical part way there. Um it's going to say, you know, you should do X, we recommend you do X, Y, and Z because we we believe you're missing this, you know. Um, and and I think you know that can only be a good thing. You know, um, helping developers, system administrators, you know, consultants um, to understand those requirements more and automatically check check for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just thinking about the um, like ISO twenty seven thousand and one around um, permissions to you know what what access you need and things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because um, you can obviously this doesn't just you know talk about. You know the the vulnerabilities or the the misconfigurations within the application. It's about access to the application as well. Yeah. You know, can everyone on the Azure AD tenant access it, or you know, everyone in the, the subscription? Can you lock it down to the resource group or to the app? That, you yeah. know, the, All the RBAC stuff.
0: Yeah. So I'll just um I've got my um I've got a security um, center subscription open now. And I'll just give you some ideas of the different, um, you know, notifications that you can get. So for instance, even at the subscription level, um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a recommendation which says there should be more than one owner assigned to your subscription. Right. So it can just be simple, simple things like that, that you might just think, you know, you might just be like, okay, you know, I've got a subscription and you know, I'm the only owner of it. Um, you know, just create it and move on. Right. Cause subscriptions. You know, a pretty quick thing to to get up and running, isn't it? Um, and you might just you might just miss that um, configuration. And also, um, for instance, it you know it's uh, one of in this staging environment, it's telling me that one of my one of my assets doesn't have um, ATP enabled on it, and it's saying like that's a quick fix just to install the agent on that machine and, and get ATP enabled it so uh, enabled on it. So you know, it's just things that you might you know, you probably wouldn't miss it in a production environment because you would sit there and you would go and check yourself. But again, I think the, you know, me and Al, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time about how you actually, um, it's one thing to configure, you know, an asset or a service, but how do you know that it's actually configured correctly? Right. And how do you know that in three months time, somebody doesn't uninstall the client or, you know, that doesn't happen, but you can never be a hundred percent sure, can you? Um, well,
1: well, it's in you know. If you think about it, if you did an upgrade on a server like we we're talking about that that Docker one, yeah. if you did an upgrade on Docker, maybe it would reinstall that service. You wouldn't know about it, or yeah. you know, opens up ports that you didn't know about.
0: Correct. Yeah, yeah, and and that's completely right. You know, when you go through your, you know, your um, your your, your patching cycles, like you say, you have no idea. Uh, Well, you do have an idea, obviously, of what you're upgrading and patching, but you don't, you can't go through line by line and work out what exact difference there is in an application, right? Um, And I think that is, you know, that's, 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 you know, for me, that's really important as somebody that's, you know, independent and advising people, you know, you can get a really good security baseline, you know, implement relatively quickly implement configuration i mean you know in terms of configuration this is just going to do recommendations for you you have to actually go and you know pull the levers and everything like that yourself um you know for stuff that's outside of the azure portal anyway um but again it's just pointing you in the right direction saying hey sam just let you know you've only got one owner on your subscription maybe you should add a second you know um and you're not going to be able to get away from that because it's going to show in your in your score and it's going to be alerted to you um all the time um so yeah so you know okay sorry go on now
1: no i was just going to say that um we we we've kind of talked about you know setting it up and stuff like that but we haven't really said we said about the agent and things like that but if it's a a virtual machine you know a vm in azure it's literally a a push button enable this on this vm and it it does it within the azure portal there's no yes it does yeah install that you have to do it's all done via the azure backend services for that vm be it Windows, Linux, etc. Um,
0: Do they support every sort of flavour of Linux? I, I've only done it um, like on Ubuntu boxes, but I'm sure I'm assuming that the agents got installers for Red Hat and you know all the other various versions of Linux that you can you can run on Azure.
1: Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but okay. um, I would. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise. I it would. Once it would not surprise me that it's covered. It covers everything that they've got in obviously their stack. Um, yeah. The
0: official Microsoft, um, yeah. sort of virtual machines. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked a little bit, so I, and I know, you know, in these podcasts, we, we do try to keep things, the, the idea of these is just to talk about, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the topic that we're talking about and obviously there's so much i want to go into you know like uh, really detailed stuff because i'd really like to go through like each of the areas and talk about them in depth but i think the the main thing for me is just to sp- put a spotlight on a security center in this podcast and you know give you some high level this is what it can do you guys should you know go and you know and have a play with this yourself right because until you actually play with it um, you won't really realize how you can best utilize it for your specific scenario because everybody's different, right? Um, so, if somebody is going to, um, if somebody is going to um, try Security Center, what's the licensing costs? So, I think
1: there's two tiers. Um, there's a free tier and then there's the standard tier. Um, I think previously there may have been other tiers, but I think they've cut it down a little bit now. Um, so I think the main ones for um virtual machines at least, um, the standard tier gives you the defender ATP and the um the data ATP, I think it's called, um, for the SQL, like I, t- I briefly mentioned earlier. Um so that gives you the um that sort of t- stuff. So that's just kind of giving you a license for for that. because uh, you can buy Defender separately now in a separate license for servers, um, but it's covered it also in the Azure Security Center. So it's kind of like a value add, I guess.
0: Yeah. One really big um, difference for me for free versus standard is just-in-time virtual machine access, because I think that, for me, is a really um, powerful tool um, to enable access to servers. Um, Do you want to just take us through what just-in-time virtual machine access is?
1: Yeah, so just in time, virtual access or access to virtual machines is where you, um, you know, you know, if it's a a Windows box or a Linux box, and you've SSH or RDP access, instead of leaving it on all the time and you having to go in and add it to the network security group to allow you to have access to it, um, it allows you to, in effect, say, I need access for three hours um, from my IP address wherever you are. And it will just put that rule in temporarily for those three hours and then remove it. So it's very easy to only give, you know, only expose those ports one to the IP address you're currently on, but two for the only you know, short amount of time and not leaving it open. So that if you know, for any, if your machine gets compromised, they don't have direct access to that application or virtual machine.
0: Yeah. And I think as well is there's an audit trail there. Yeah. So you've actually made a request so you can pinpoint it down to, you know, um, let's say you had a security incident where, you know, um, you had a bad actor in your organization, I'm guessing, you know, uh, you know, touch wood, that's never going to happen. Um, uh, but you could see, you know, who had access, you know, at what time, to to those servers you know in in terms of you know remote access um and that might not just be for you know rdp or ssh it might be that you've got a some sort of piece of software running on that you know um let's say you had a plesk or cpanel or something like that um, running on there um you can block off all those ports as well um at, at the same time so yeah I really like just in time virtual machine access you know really really good
1: um so so just going through the, the the free tier, it's it's mainly, you know, the Azure secure score and the continuous assessment and security recommendations. So, you know, just turning it on and seeing what's happening and how good or bad um, something, you know, a, a service looks like um, for the standard tier, like you said, it is just in time access, uh, Microsoft Defender for servers, um, threat protection for PaaS services. So they're bringing all that in now. Um and the the regulatory compliance dashboards and reports yeah. is is the part of that so you have to go yeah. up to the standard tier for that
0: and i mean if 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 there's anybody listening that hasn't gone and looked at that compliance dashboards and reports um, the wealth of information that is in there um is is quite outstanding because you know even even um, requirements you know compliance you know um regulatory compliance requirements that aren't you know, technical are still in there. So it gives you a really good understanding of, you know, what full PCI compliance, you know, to whatever level um is in there um looks like, you know, and the the steps that you're gonna have to go through if you want to get um get to that level, you know, before you have a, a true, you know, audit, you know, for that. Um, okay, so that's sort of licensing. So basically, the TLDR of licensing is: is there's a free tier which will give you value anyway because it's going to give you some security recommendations and it's going to give you a secure store score. But there is some really tangible benefits um, to going um, to, to going up to a, a standard tier. Um, and also, just to also reiterate that you pay per um, you pay per resource. You know inside that subscription, right?
1: Yeah, and it's it looks like it's per hour as well. I thought it was a monthly cost, but it's actually for so for, for virtual machines it's point naught no, point no sorry one point five p per hour um for it running. Um, I think it's the same for app services as well. Um, but um one thing I was just about to say was that obviously with the standard tier so if you're ingesting logs into log analytics Um, there's obviously an ingestion cost there. Um, but with the standard tier, um, of Azure security center, you get 500 megs of 500 megabytes of data per day of ingestion. So that kind of comes off it. So if you're doing, you know, if you're ingesting that data into the log analytics, you are kind of, um, negating that cost a little bit if you're using the, the two of them.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah, okay, so there's a potential cost saving there if you're already doing that ingestion.
1: Yeah, with obviously a, a huge benefit to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Okay, that's also... So what is... Um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but what is the secure score? What What? what does that sort of give us? Uh,
1: so that gives you an indication of how good you your service or your subscription is um, and what, you know, out of all the changes you need and things like that, so it gives you... Um, points or percentage like you said earlier
0: yeah yeah so there's an overall percentage um and then you see because you know for you know different subscriptions are going to have different points totals right so for instance you know in front of me i've got two subscriptions and one has a maximum of 14 points because it's got you know a certain number of services and assets in it and the other one has um, a maximum of 23 points right because it's got more um you know assets that are being covered um and well sorry resources that are being covered so um the percentage now gives us a really good indication of generally how um you know those you know um those resources you know are are doing security wise and you know i I don't know what's your sort of feeling on you know um i suppose the you know the the question that i've got is is this does this does this replace you know um you know security consultants like how does this you know how do you think this sits in the organization
1: i think it gives a baseline like like we said it's a it's a good indication of something that's um you know a configuration um you still need you still will need to do pen testing because that's really against you know your your app your code as well it's not going to look it's not it's not going to dive into the code per se it's more around the the you know the the PaaS services or the VMs that are hosting those applications. Um, so, and you know, potentially, you know, whilst um, small, you know, small medium companies might have small IT departments, they might not be able to manage this. They might just need someone to come in and just do you know, a monthly check or a yearly check to make sure that um, or on app launch kind of thing, just to help make sure it's at the you know the best security standard they can.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the great benefits of this is because of the cost of it, um, it's a really easy um, conversation with a client because there's kind of no reason not to enable it, right? Because if we if we look at the cert, you know, the, if I go to pricing for servers, like let's say you had, you know, um, a virtual machine, it costs $15 per month per server, right? And I think that is, you know, um, and, you know, that, so just tacking that on to your virtual machine cost, you know, is, could, could, you know, it really depends on what virtual machine you've got running, right? Because if you've got a really cheap virtual machine, then, you know, well, it's probably not a production sort of, you know, ready machine. But, you know, it just kind of seems like a bit of a no-brainer, really. And it it it, it saves, you know, my uh, clients a lot of money because instead of me having to go and root out those security issues and try and hunt and find, you know, some of them to get to that baseline, Um I've got a report in front of me which gives me my actionable steps straight away, um, and it sort of ranks it in. This is the quickest, you know, easiest wins, you know. So it's kind of simplified that whole process of that first engagement, right?
1: Yeah, I was just about—I was just about to say, you know, fifteen dollars, um, you know, is what? How long of someone's time in our world? You know, an hour in some—you know—less than an hour kind of thing, you know, just to put it on for the whole month, you know, just to help, you know, get, you know, like you said, get you straight to the point. These things are the things I need to definitely do or potentially do. Um, and then, you know, all the other security changes about the, you know, the, the code, et cetera, that, um, that you look at, um, yeah. that kind of thing. So Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, th- I I absolutely, I really like Security Center. It's, it's I, I, you know, I mean, there's loads of things I love about Azure. That's why we do an Azure podcast, obviously. Um but like, you know, Security Centre I think is one of those like you know, no brainer, let's just enable it, sort of, you know. I, I always include it if I, you know, if, if, if a client's asking me, Okay, I want to move, you know, um, this virtual machine into Azure and it's not a candidate to move to uh, you know, a past solution, um, then, you know, this makes this makes a huge amount of sense and it's like you know like we've just discussed it's you know it, it can save a lot a lot of time and i and i think it it really does help those you know cuz companies that are big that have teams of people you know that it's their dedicated job to 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 do this right like if you've got a a large it team that is lucky enough to have you know the correct amount of time to do all of this and have the ops of it um but imagine if you're like a smaller you know let's say you're like a micro or a small company where you have got some sort of workload you know running in you know azure or maybe that's on a different platform you know this is a differentiator you know than just buying a virtual machine from like you know one of the big sort of generic um hosting providers right because even though it might be slightly more expensive per month, it's like, well, we can have the security advisor running twenty four seven that's monitoring what we're doing. Um and even if, you know, we don't apply all the security rules and everything that it brings up, because maybe they don't have the budget to do that, right? Because you could be chasing for days and days, you know, fixing stuff. Um, it just, it just shows us what we need to attack in the quickest order.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, is it worth just quickly going around its sort of roadmap, kind of where it started, kind of where it started, and quickly how it's like developed? Um,
0: yeah, do you want to take us through that?
1: Yeah, so I th- from what I can remember, um, it started off with um, virtual machines, as obviously you know that was the main thing that started in Azure, um, and it's kind of moved on to app services. But the new things it's been doing is getting into the into the databases technology so you know sql obviously being its first one because it's you know microsoft um but it's starting you know at the moment they've got public previews for MySQL and um postgres sql
0: yeah that's and, Um, and that's it and that's that's where you really you know databases are obviously an absolute you know it's like the it's like the heart of any organization right you know the actual data you know that's where you really i mean everything has to be secure, obviously, right? But, you know, a misconfiguration at the database level, you know, like, is could just be absolutely catastrophic, you know, in terms of a security incident, right? Um, So, yeah, so having, you know, having this now looking, like you just said, you know, yes, it's fully supported on um, Azure SQL, but even for them to, you know, and I think this is the general theme of, you know, the new Microsoft, as I call it, is, you know, opening up and supporting all of these different platforms so they can say, OK, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, if your application isn't Windows and let's say you're running Moodle, right, for your VLE, um, you can still, you know, Moodle isn't a good tech candidate for pass. It's, you know, the the amount of, um, you know, the amount of files and everything like that. So it is a virtual machine solution, right? a 100%. Um, So, you know, so now I can be a, you know, an open source PHP and Linux, you know, application, and I can still get, you know, security center coverage for my Linux box. And now potentially, you know, my MySQL, um, my MySQL databases.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, that's, that's valuable, right? That's that's really valuable.
1: Yeah. And they've also got a Azure security center for IoT devices. Okay. now as well so you can check that you know the security of those That's... are at a level
0: is there anything they won't check <laughs> i mean like it's just you know if if you've got it we'll check it you know and i just yeah this uh, is uh,
1: just this yeah this is just showing you know the the amount of energy and effort they're putting into their correct. security products
0: yeah, yeah. and I, I mean i know you sort of live in that world so you know uh we are uh, you know you and me obviously hear about, you know, this you know, obviously me through you, the security, you know, roadmaps and everything. But I think it just reinforces the fact that all of Microsoft's offerings are always very comprehensive across the board, not in terms of just like raw speed or functionality or price, but it's about designing the best product for the customer, right? In terms of, you know, for businesses, right? Because you know, businesses do care. You know, there is a legitimate reason to care about security, right? You know, in our new, you know, GDP enforced world, GDP enforce enforced world and all of that sort of stuff, right? These are the sorts of checks and things, you know, that um companies want to see.
1: Yeah, and and just going about, you know, the development that Microsoft do, you know, they don't, you know, quite a lot of it isn't just, you know, plucked out of the air so on at Microsoft's um thought you know it's a good idea um yep. a lot of it does come from the you know from businesses from the the community yep. you know they've got all their user voices around um sometimes takes a little oh, while God, to get Alan, some don't of it. talk
0: about user voices yeah, private channels it
1: they did come in the end obviously there's there's things with that but you know a lot of it comes from that and you know when they go through the testing yes all of it's done in-house first but you know, when they go through their three-stage sort of release, you know, from private preview, you know, there's customers out there that, you know, have been asking for it. They test it with them and they have, you know, they do have, you know, their feedback does feed into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then when public preview comes here, you know, it's it's more almost, you know, the product's almost there, but there's always tweaks. And, you know, even when it goes, you know, generally available GA, you know, there's always normally a change. Yeah. So.
0: No, and another part of it for me is automation support. So, um, Security Center has the ability to um, to report um, like security incidents and also recommend new recommendations um, in straight into Logic Apps. Um, there's a connector straight there, so you can then automate your. You know, um, if you want to post about it inside of a team channel, um, you can do that, and then you could do. Whatever you want with that data, because, um, you know, obviously Logic Apps has, you know, connectors for so many different systems and, you know. Yes,
1: yeah, so I guess one of them would be to um, post it into your ticketing system. So, you know, an incident yep. or a, a, you know, instance logged and then the security team or the devs can uh, go and fix it or go and Correct. look at it at least.
0: Yeah, and that's massively proactive, isn't it? That's not waiting till the end of the month to, you know, to do a to do a review and then potentially, you know, find it or not find it. That is, you know, actionable. You know, it, you know, th- the discovery is there instantly, isn't it, for the teams? Um, so, yeah, to get started, I mean, my recommendation would be to um, I'm going to put this in the show notes as well. Um, inside of Security Center, there is a community uh, menu item um that has got some how to guides and some videos um, and also there is a um security center community on github and there is some uh, really good documentation on uh microsoft docs um around security center so yeah definitely worth if you if you're not using it um and this sort of comes under your remit definitely worth having a look at because it's not just um it's not just, you know, it's more than just a basic sort of, you know, um, subscription checker or, you know, network security checker. It will actually go and check your actual resources.
1: Yeah, just turn on the, the free tier initially and see what yeah, you see. Exactly. Yeah, And then yeah, exactly. go from there. So. Yeah.
0: Cool. Uh, I think that sort of wraps up for me about Security Center. Is there anything else you want to add, Al?
1: Uh No, I mean, I, I briefly talked about the Sentinel plugin, but that's, you know, that, Pushes all the logs into Sentinel, so you can keep them for the X amount of time you want from activity. Yep. Um, and they've got a workbook in there, like I said before, where you can basically see the compliance in one place. So if you've got multiple subscriptions, or you know you've got people living in Sentinel, you can keep them there rather than them having to move into another.
0: Okay. Kind yeah. of
1: portal, I guess, or yeah, blade. For sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and I mean, yeah, and like all roads lead to Sentinel, don't they? So, and that's the same. That's the same here. So. Yeah. Okay. Um should we do some news?
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. Um uh, uh, well, last time it was pretty much ours um <laughs> stuff and cause but now I sort of, you know, dropped the ball and now it's pretty much um a load of it. Well, I think all of it's pretty much me to be fair. Um right, Dataflex and data flex pro, Alan.
1: Yeah. This is DataFlex. Uh... <laughs> what is
0: Dataflex, Alan?
1: Uh, I'm not too sure. I know that um I mean I know that Dataflex Pro was a rename from Comet for Common Data Services.
0: Yeah, so um we've we've obviously had um Common Data Service which is what um the power platform is built upon. Um so it's a sort of a massive um database for your, you know, data. It can um sort of talk into all these different power platform products um, and you can store I assume like exabytes worth of data in it, right? I don't know the exact limits, but like you know, huge amounts of data. Um, and the licensing model for that um, was—I don't, I dare say—complicated. It's not complicated, is it? How it's just it could be expensive, right? You know, across the whole across um, across the whole organisation. So, yeah, one thing that they've uh, they've now done is they've now got uh, so they've renamed. The common data service into DataFlex Pro. And now we have this standard DataFlex. I don't know where they came up with the name. It sounds pretty cool actually. Flexible data kind of makes sense because it is, you know, a flexible data storage mechanism. Um, so now DataFlex is only available. Oh, it's called DataFlex for Teams. So it's literally like having a mini version of the common data service just for a team inside of Teams. Is that right? That's right. I think I've said it right because it's teams within. So if you imagine a specific team inside of teams, they can now have their own data flex storage instead of having to put their data into the common data, um, common data service.
1: All right. So it's kind of permissioning based on the team access kind of.
0: Yes, correct. So you don't have the single environments. There's uh, there's like an individual environment for each team inside of Teams. Um, so let's just talk about what you can sort of achieve with that. Um, now you can create um, Canvas Power Apps directly with inside the team. Um, so you can actually use the Power Apps, you know, um, sort of designer to, to, to build your Power Apps directly in those teams. Um, and then also you can do um, automations inside of there, so using Power Automate um, as well directly from within Teams. So it's a bit bizarre. I'm looking at some screenshots now. Obviously, nobody else can see it because we're on a podcast, but I can see people building like Power Virtual Agents inside of Teams, and it just seems a bit crazy. It's like okay. they've just so taken will, this whole will that, product. Would that shut be it in like teams.
1: approvals and things like that can be done yeah. just for that within that team at least?
0: Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, so the security is also set on a per team basis and there's no global access, you know, across your team's environment. So you can be safe in the knowledge that, you know, if you've got HR only apps, then HR can build them sort of quotes in secret inside of their teams, Um, you know, and you can have user own, you know, user roles inside of there. And all of that sort of stuff. So basically, the idea is that this is an app for one single business unit, not multiple business units across across the organization. Um, there are basically the, the main difference between them is that there's no sharing, right? There There, there is other stuff like you can't audit. Um, there's no hierarchical secu- security and there's no field level security either. So that's that's something to, to 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 take into account. Okay, yeah. Um, but and the main thing is you can't share it. It's 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 inside of one team. Um, obviously, you know, limitations are, you know, that data lives inside of that team. You know, again, no no data um, sharing. Um, and also if a premium connector is used, then the Power App will require at least a per app per user power app license for all the members of the team, including guest members.
1: All oh, right. Okay. So, so that's... we still need that. So I was going to ask you about the premium connectors.
0: Correct. Yes. Yeah. So you still need licensing for those premium connectors and also including guest members as well, which is interesting. Mm. Um, And obviously we have limits to the amount of people um, that we can put in a standard team. Right. I mean, I believe it's ten thousand or something like that. So it's pretty ridiculous. But
1: uh, yeah, I don't know if that got increased recently.
0: Yeah, I can't um, remember or if, the, like
1: that. if that is the increase,
0: uh, yeah, and also um, data flex storage is limited to two gigabytes. So um, yeah, so if your data storage requirements are are larger than that, um, then yeah.
1: So what happens then if you hit you hit those limits or you build an app and you need to like you know oh okay. This is good to go. Actually, need to add some more teams into it. How to do be honest I... with
0: you, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I believe I read that you can migrate them, but okay. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I'd need to go and have a look at the documentation a bit closer because this isn't something that I've even had a chance to look at yet. To be fair, um, but I, I'm because the licensing for premium connectors, which is always the problem with the common data service, right? Yeah, like, guess, that's always yeah. the sticking point. That's still there, right? So, I yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure why you'd pick this. To be fair,
1: well, I wonder if if the the, the use of, um, data flex, aka common data service, um, yeah. not got used to that yet. Um, yeah, you know, to use the common data service on the power platform, it's a premium connector, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, um, for most parts, um, so this might allow you to use the data flex without having a premium license yeah um within teams um yeah. but then if you're using other premium connectors that m- kind of maybe doesn't make sense apart from yeah. obviously segrega- segregation of the data um, yeah to those and I think, teams
0: i think as well you know i suppose i could see it in a scenario where let's say you had a hr app or, you know, a flow or whatever it was. And then you didn't you wanted to be able to build but in like a secure environment, but you didn't want anybody to be able to access that except for that HR team, right? Um, that could be good because it's literally limited to, to, to that team, you know. So it's not like all of the, you know, um Yeah, I all, guess. You know, the, um... if you had just one massive environment. And database for your whole organization then anybody that's got access to that could see any of that data right uh, Yeah, yeah well, not I'll... necessarily because we've got yeah. we've got we've got access control so i suppose that isn't necessarily an issue well um,
1: what i was just about to say was that you you said that you can't share it out apart from within that team obviously if if someone in hr who built the app decided to share it with someone outside accidentally or i' I'm, I'm putting my security hat on here but um you know, maliciously disgruntled employee to give access to the hr system yeah um then they could because they're the app owner or they've got those permissions based on them having those those permissions of course um but yeah. within this team's app or within the team depending on who's the the team owner they, you know restricts that ability to do that i guess
0: yeah that's true yeah i yeah i suppose that is the yeah, and I suppose you don't have the Common Data Service costs, right? Um, to store objects in Common Data Service, so I suppose you get two gig for free, basically, don't you? Yeah, I mean, if you just if you
1: wasn't using you know premium connectors and you were just building a HR app that you know sent emails or did stuff within the Office 365 or non premium connectors, you know it would be know be cost you wouldn't cost you anything. It's just when it's just when you hit that premium connector part then it becomes kind of do you, don't you scenario.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, so it's just gonna be interesting to see, you know, it's it's something that's pretty new. Um I haven't spent a lot of time looking at it. Um I obviously want to get my hands on it and have a play with it and make sure, you yeah, know, to see what we can do with it and what the sort of tangible benefits are. Um you know, for our clients. Um, so next one I've got on my list is um, the Power BI compliance report for Intune. Um, I did not have a, I did have no idea um, that Intune had a data warehouse until I read about this. Um, so, yeah, Al, thanks for thanks for letting me know that. Um, <laughs> yes, but basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but basically, it allows you to embed a compliance report straight into Power BI um, from Intune.
1: Yeah so it's been it's the data warehouse has been there but um it's it, it needed improving i think so i think this latest release is definitely a lot better um yeah. as the, as again microsoft put in you know lots of effort into you know the um endpoint manager uh, as yeah. it's called now so <laughs> yeah um but yeah building that helps uh, helps you know people without ad, ad, admin access you know you see that that compliance with their the devices etc
0: yeah and i just like the fact that microsoft release you know these compliance dashboards um that you can just bolt in and use right so that you don't have to go through the you don't have to go through the um the rigmarole of like configuring yourself and working out how to display the data right that microsoft have just gone here's a power bi app um have at it, sort of thing, you know, like that's that to me is a real good value add, you know, because it's like, hey, do you want to surface all your in tune compliance data? Yeah, cool. Here's a Power BI, you know, dashboard for that. So, yeah, really good. Um, next one on Power BI as well. Um, oh, quite a lot of Power BI common data <laughs> service today. Uh, apologies. Um, there's a React component for Power BI. So, if you are a React developer out there. Um, there is now a React component to embed a Power BI um, uh, dashboard directly into a uh, React application. Um, So this is nice as well because it's got lifecycle events. So you can say um, it fire an event once the Power BI is fully loaded, right? And all of that. So let's say you wanted to show your own sort of custom loading screen because Power BI just sort of sits there and, you know, Whatever, whilst it's loading, um, then you could be alerted to when it's actually ready for the user to interact with. So, yeah, a really good little um, connector that loads of people have been asking for for a long time. Um, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it allows, it, it's great because that means that you can embed Power BI dashboards, you know, in other applications.
1: I thought you was going to say that it was the other way around. Yeah, I you know. So, like, into, when I, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Power BI. Yeah. yeah um, that's... Cause... 'Cause you can do um you can embed power apps um into there. Yeah. So you can you know, what depending on what day you select, um yeah, hits correct. that power App, and you can do stuff with it.
0: Yeah, it so too. yeah, that's I mean what I what I'm really waiting for is Blazor and WASM support for power apps and power BI, but we're just we're waiting for that to, to happen anyway. Um I think there is a user voice out there, so <laughs> chop chop. Um right. That could be available. I haven't actually been checking on that for a while. Um, And the last one is Windows Virtual Desktop Capabilities. Um, So in April, um, Microsoft released some extra functionality for um, Windows Virtual Desktop. Um, Basically, there's a better Azure portal integration um, because I think you were telling me it was um, to um, bring these services up. You had to use a lot of PowerShell before.
1: Yeah, I think there's a quite a bit of PowerShell where you had to set up the um the tenant for it and things like that. So
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And also um there is a um an audio and video redirect for Microsoft Teams. So I believe this is where you accept a Teams call with inside the remote desktop and then it can use the local Teams to actually do the call so it's good quality. I think yep. that's what they're talking about. Yep. There, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah,
1: so it's just an agent that, in effect, pairs up with your virtual machine. Yeah. Um, so it authenticates when you log in, it authenticates your, your agent locally into yes. Teams at the same time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly like you said. When you get a Teams call, um, all your, it tells the agent to do all the audio when it connects.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm, I think I'm going to give Windows Virtual Desktop a try, actually. Um, because it seems can you do it just on a single sort of or does it have to be a more enterprise integration no. do you know or can you no, just so i one? think
1: so from what i remember um because we're looking at it now um in in my current role um but we're uh, from what i can remember the the service itself is is sort of free to run okay. um but it's all that it's the the servers behind it all the the windows ten VDIs, etc. et cetera um right, they obviously okay. cost um to have them spun up but um
0: do they have a different sort of uh billing model then because i assume this is for normal sort of people um no it's just um client desktops right
1: no i think it's just um you can only so what you can do with um windows 10 in azure um you can do multi-user mode so it's like a you know uh rds server equivalent you know multi-session but it's Windows 10. So you don't have to worry about oh, right. you know, the okay. difference with you know server 2012, 2016, et cetera, being different to you know a standard desktop. So it's it's doing that. So you can have a you know high powered machine um in Azure, you know, Windows 10 that can you know host 10 users at the same time. I mean, maybe not in your um your world because of all your dev apps, but you know, standard office, things like that. People who use, you know, an example is someone who uses a Mac. Um, that wants to use the um, some of the visio or um, power bi desktop because there isn't a client for it that kind of stuff you can you can do that you can just uh, enhance people's um, experience Um, yeah
0: no i haven't even ever considered it it's 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 interesting as well because the pricing of it is done by usage hours per month as well so i've just done a uh, you know just done a comparison a cost comparison so the example workload is a graphics workstation right a mm-hmm. Num- 100 users yeah engineers and graphic designers with 3d modeling simulations in cad workloads users spending five to six hours a day requiring workstation capability so 12 virtual cpus and, 100 and le- 112 gig of ram i assume that's shared between them
1: right yeah that would be the the machine itself wouldn't it the the but that's saying
0: that's saying number of users. So do they get one each? Yeah, it must be no. because it's, it's saying here the next example is Microsoft Office. It's personal desktop examples. There you go. Yeah, so it is a personal desktop and it says Microsoft Office, a thousand users, and then users work ten to eight to ten hours a day, and they get two virtual CPUs in four gig of RAM each, right? So oh, if okay. I click West Europe pricing estimate. Dun, 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 dun. Once this loads. Sorry, my three hundred and fifty megabit internet is is rocketing along today. So it's saying here that to have a thousand users you doing eight to ten hours a day on B2S instances would be thirty six thousand dollars a month. Which is I
1: mean yeah,
0: nothing. I mean if you th- yeah, no I mean if you think thirty six dollars David- a month, it's like one one what is it 1.2 1.1 dollars a day
1: <laughs> well i was just and... thinking if you think about the upfront cost of a of a laptop or a desktop
0: but i suppose what do they connect with they still got to connect with a laptop haven't they
1: yeah but in you know, remote working world we can use their own machines because you're not worried about the security of that per oh, say, yeah. because B-O-D, you're remoting yeah. on yeah yeah
0: interesting yeah and... I never really, because w- me and you had talked about um you know so for me, uh, Visual Studio online, right, and mm. having this you know I might actually consider looking at that and seeing you know if I could run my uh, development machine, but but the, the other thing
1: just to mention is that you don't have to as far as the, well, I have to double check this again, but um you can just run applications off those servers. So say you're just using Visual Studio code you can have it as an app in the, in the portal and it will just launch visual studio code on your, it'll just look like a window on your machine.
0: Oh, uh, so it's like a Citrix like, um, y- yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay.
1: um, Microsoft did that anyway with, um, RDS. Yeah, you yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. You can do that as well. So instead of you having the full, seeing the whole thing, you can just, you know, use your machine and have an app that looks like it's there, but it's actually running remotely.
0: Yeah. It's just, Yeah, I didn't even think, it'd be interesting to see how performant, because they're saying that's for graphics workstations, it'd be just interesting to see how performant the remote desktop um, software is, right? Um, You know, because obviously we've now got low latency technologies like Parsec and Rainway and stuff like that, you know, it'd just be interesting to see what the latencies are and the bandwidth Mm. um, you can get out of that. Anyway... Wow. Yeah. So that's obviously, and this is the thing about this podcast. Um, we talk about stuff that, you know, like we're always learning as well. I think that's, I think that's another thing just to mention as well, you know, like there is a lot, you know, the, our podcast is Azure, you know, focused, but there is a lot out there. Um, And, you know, we are constantly learning, aren't we, Al? You know, there's no way to learn it all and to be, you know, a master of it.
1: No, there's a lot, you know, there's probably a lot we don't touch in our day-to-day roles, but we kind of, hear about but never ever, never ever touch
0: yeah exactly or we use it for our own personal you know so like for my development environments you know like having a a remote a remote machine to be able to do that um would be you know very good for me as i jump between different machines so yeah okay um I think that's pretty much it then. I, what have we been going? I think we've been going about an hour now, haven't we? So um, have we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So even though when we started this, we were looking through our talking points and we thought, oh, I don't know if there's going to be enough in there, but yeah, it did. Um, we had quite a lot of news this, you know, this time. So yeah, that's really good. Uh, let me just close this document a second. Um, our next episode is going to be about zero trust, um, which I assume Alan is going to give us a good overview of zero trust. Um, Yeah, that's going to be our next episode. Um, So, yeah, so hopefully we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, We can see from our analytics that uh, more people are watching. Um, So thank you for uh, watching. Or listening. Listening, sorry. Yeah, I apologize, Um, YouTube mode. Um, So, yeah, we we can see that you're listening. Um, We have our websites now up and running. Is that correct, Alan? Yeah, I believe so. Should we do a shout out? Let me just have quick look Uh, it's bad that I can't remember the URL it took us a while to find it so our podcast website is letstalkpodcast.co.uk and on there um, you can stream and listen to any of the podcast um, episodes and also you can learn a little bit about us and get in contact with us so if you've got any feedback um, please do get in contact contact with us because we only know if you know we're annoying people or people really like this podcast by you getting in touch with us so yeah you can find our contact details um and our um social media details on our website so um that's pretty much it from me
1: yeah so um yeah any feedback like sam said and any suggestions about some of the episodes as well um yes. we we've got a couple sort of lined up i think haven't we we've obviously got zero trust next or next time yeah um we might have another one i can't remember um yeah. but yeah any suggestions um we can see if we can uh yeah get on it. that but um yeah, yeah thanks for listening sure. um yeah yeah
0: okay cheers everyone thank you bye-bye All
1: right. see ya